Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Steadfast Sermon Series, which looks at the different areas in the Christian life in which we are called to be steadfast. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. So I want you to take your Bible and let's go to Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter 2 tonight is where we're going to be. And uh, of course, the, uh, the theme that we laid out for the church uh, is that word steadfast and understanding uh, exactly what that means. And when you look at that word steadfast and the definition of the word steadfast, you know that it's, it means this, to be resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. Uh, unswerving or resolute or uh, determined or firm or unshakable or adamant, unfailing, dogged, tenacious, inflexible, unyielding, unbending, uncompromising. The word was obdurant that we looked at, which means stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or course of action, obstinate or iron will. It's a lot of, a lot of words to give us a definition, but really it just means the word steadfast. It doesn't mean just to stand in place. It means to understand what you have, why you believe it, and to move forward with it. And that word steadfast, of course, we can go to our theme verse that we're looking at is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58 where it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that theme verse, Rob, why don't you put that verse up for us, Robert? I want you to uh, see this verse with me and let's read it together maybe. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, you can just read silently as I read it. Here's what it says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. And uh, here's what Paul was saying. He was saying to them, hey, listen, the therefore is there for a reason. He said, hey, we have Jesus. He rose from the dead. We know he rose from the dead and we have victory. And so because of that, because of that, you can live steadfast. You can be unmovable. And it's interesting to me when we maybe look through the, uh, the history there's been a lot of believers, a lot of Christians that have stood unwavering in their faith. We would look at them and we would wonder, why could they stand that way? Why could they take so much uh, um, uh, maybe ridicule or persecution and never waver? Well, it's because they knew what they had. They knew that it was true. And we looked at that last week, understanding that what we have is true. Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. He was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead to prove that he was God. It's all true. And because of that, we can stand with what we believe. Well, tonight we're going to, in the next course, the next few weeks on Sunday nights, we're going to take some time to just see what we're supposed to be steadfast in. And so I want to put something up on the screen tonight, and I want you to answer what it is, all right? So there's not a prize, but as soon as it goes up, I want the very first person to answer it. Rob, you got to do that because I don't have anything up here. <clears throat> All right. It was a, it's a key. It's a key. Let me ask you, this is the second question. What does a key do? Or lock stuff up. All right, good. It, it, it unlocks things. You know what? When you look at a key, and some of you could probably pull your keys out, and, and uh, I don't know if you have a janitor key ring. You guys know what a janitor key ring, don't you? It's the key ring that's real big that you fit like 75 kajillion keys on, and it's like my mom's keys, you know? And growing up, she would say, son, my keys, grab my keys. I'd say, which one? Just grab the whole thing, man. And you're like, 
you know, carry this huge key ring. Uh, you know what keys do? Keys unlock doors. Man, they unlock things. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're just going to take some time to discover the key that unlocks a believer's steadfastness. All right, so let me put it this way. Every one of us, if you've known Christ for any length of time, there's probably some desire in you to live for God. And I think that'd be everybody's heart, you know, whether we're, whether we're uh, um, at church all the time, sometime, a few times, whether we've been saved or known Christ for two years or 25 years, or uh, whether we grew up in a Christian family or didn't grow up in a Christian family. I mean, we're here on a Sunday night while the Seahawks are playing nonetheless. Right, Gordon? Uh, you know what? There's got to be something that says, well, I just want to live for God. Well, that's what steadfast Christianity is. Living steadfast, living, maintaining that Christianity and that Christian walk with the Lord that has that influence like we looked at with Paul this morning that impacts and impresses, it puts an impression upon others. Having that faith that doesn't waver. Man, we want that. But how do we get it? How do we live out steadfast Christianity? What does it look like and what are, what, what's the key to it? And tonight, what we're going to understand is this simple phrase that if I'm going to be a steadfast Christian, it starts with being steadfast in my personal growth. All right, if I'm going to be a steadfast Christian, it starts by being steadfast in my personal growth. Last week, we looked at those early believers in the book of Acts, and we're going to take some time to see this challenge from Paul to the church at Colossae. The same thing those believers stuck with in the book of Acts when it says that they continued steadfastly. You see, Paul challenged the church at Colossae with this. And so I want you to take your Bible, if you would. Let's stand, and let's go to Colossians chapter 2, if you have it there. If not, you can just listen along, and that's totally fine. Colossians chapter 2 tonight, and beginning in verse number 1, it says this, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father and of Christ." in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. The church at Colossae was a very interesting church. We're going to learn a few things about them tonight. But as Paul writes this letter to them, he really is taking time to encourage them in staying grounded, staying steadfast. And what we're going to see tonight is that he gives them in this passage just a few things that will help them as believers, but also help us as believers to remain steadfast and to keep that uh, faithful Christianity uh, until the day we die and move forward for the Lord. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into his word tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Why don't you take just a minute and uh, 
just ask the Lord to speak to your heart tonight. You can pray something simple of just, dear God, please speak to me. And then just take a moment and commit to the Lord that as he speaks to you, that you're listening to him and that you'll respond to him. Dear Lord, we just want to come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you tonight for your love for us. We thank you, Father, for just how you continue to work in our lives and, Lord, the work that you want to do each and every day. And, Father, we pray that as we go tonight to your word and hear from you, we pray, Lord, that you would just help us. Pray that you'd help us to uh, hear from you and to understand the truths that you give to us. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. Pray that you'd be with us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. If you were at the church a couple years ago, uh, then you'll remember we kind of we took time on Sunday mornings to study the book of Colossians, and it's a, a very helpful book. We learned a number of things from Paul. Of course, we studied a little bit about the life of Paul this morning. At uh, one time, one of the greatest persecutors of the Word of God and of Christ and of Christianity. Uh, but then he trusted Jesus as Savior, put his faith and trust in Christ, and God would then turn his life around and use him in a great way to uh, really impact the lives of thousands of people. And as you come to the book of Colossians tonight, we're, we're going to kind of go through this, uh, this study, but what, what I want us to understand is as we go through the book of Colossians or just this part of Colossians tonight, that uh, Paul is writing to the believers at Colossae that in the same way that Jude, we're studying Jude on Thursdays, in the same way that Jude wrote to his readers, and in the same way that Peter and James wrote to their readers. Here's what the warning is. The warning is you need to understand that as time progresses, the devil is going to try to attack your life. As you grow as a Christian, the devil is out to destroy you. He's out to destroy your home, your marriage, your kids. The devil's out to destroy you. And the biggest way the devil does that is by getting your attention and your focus off of God. All right, that's, that's what Jude wrote about. We're studying on Thursdays. That's what Peter and James wrote about. And that's what, what Paul is writing about here in the book of Colossians. The fact is that the devil loves to draw people away from the Lord. He loves to take you uh, down a road that maybe you thought you would never go down. And yet the devil loves to do that because it gets our attention away from God. Well, what happened is if you go to the life of Paul and you kind of connect him with the book of Colossians. Paul was uh, traveling around, and at one point, Paul was uh, arrested. We know that. We've been studying that. And uh, where we were at in Acts 27 this morning, that trip to Rome, Paul would actually write the book of Colossians from Rome. Now, when he wrote it from Rome, he had actually never been to Colossae. A lot of people think, well, he wrote Colossians. Paul probably started a church there. He never did. The Bible actually tells us that there was a fellow prisoner There was somebody else that was imprisoned with him in Rome whose name was Epaphras. 
And Epaphras told uh, Paul about the church at Colossae and said, hey, uh, here's the church that I'm from. I think that Paul was one, or excuse me, Epaphras was one who probably pastored that church at one time. But he says, hey, here's this church at Colossae. Here's the things they're struggling with. Here's what's going on with them. And Paul said, well, you know what? I'm going to write them a letter. I'm just going to write them a letter. And of course, we know at that time, you know, now you can Facebook everything and, and tweet everything and Instagram everything and everything else, everything. Uh, back then, you couldn't do it. You know, back then, they had to send it. I mean, you could tweet it. It was like with a dove and a piece of paper that they would fly on. Letters through people. And of course, Paul heard about the church at Colossae. He writes this letter back to the church at Colossae. Hey, Epaphras has told me about you. Epaphras has told me about your faith. And Epaphras has told me about everything good that's going on there. And I just want to write to you about a few things. So I want you to take your Bible tonight. Let's just notice a few of the things that Paul wrote to them about. As we open up this passage tonight, I notice Paul, I notice Paul writing to them about a rejoicing. Paul writes to them about a rejoicing. I want you, if you would, to look with me at verse number 5. Verse 5, Paul said this, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith, in Jesus Christ, of your faith in Christ. Again, while Paul had never been there, he writes to them and he's saying, hey, I'm still re I'm rejoicing in hearing about your Christianity. Paul says, I'm rejoicing in hearing about the believers at Colossae. Well, what was he rejoicing about? Well, he told them, I'm rejoicing about your order. The word order is a, a military term. It just kind of means to hold the line. Paul said, hey, I'm rejoicing that you're not wavering right now, and that's good. Man, there's some uh, false religions attacking you, but you're not wavering. You're holding the line. That's a good thing. Then he says, I'm also rejoicing in your steadfastness. Well, that's our theme for the year, that, that steadfastness. But here, the word steadfast, it means to be well-established. Paul says, I'm rejoicing in how your faith is well-established. And while the devil's attacking you, you're staying firm, and you're, you're holding the line, and you're well-established. He's, I rejoice in your order and in your steadfastness. You know, what's interesting to me is that how was their steadfastness an encouragement when they had never met Paul? That's interesting to me. And here's the conclusion I came to, that you don't have to meet somebody for them to be an encouragement to you. You really don't. You don't have to know somebody personally for them to be an encouragement to you. And I just want to tell us this tonight and, and let, you, let you and I know this, that when you and I remain faithful, when we remain steadfast in the faith and one that says, you know what, I'm not going to waver on what I believe. I'm not going to waver on teaching people to come to Christ. I'm not going to waver on my faithfulness to the Lord and my service to the Lord. There's going to be a steadfast spirit. That's an encouragement to people. Man, that's encouraging to folks. You know what? It's encouraging, number one, it's encouraging to people you do know. I'll tell you this, that uh, for our church family here, those of us that are members or maybe regular attenders, man, when, you, when we're here, it's an encouragement to be around people, the people of God. It's a, it's a blessing. And when we're not here, we miss the encouragement. Now, again, you say, well, Pastor, we kind of expect you to say that. All right, let's take the pastor hat off. And I just talked to you as Dennis. You know, one thing I learned growing up, growing up in church, that it was an encouragement when God's people came. Man, it's an encouragement when God's people sing. 
It's an encouragement when God's people uh, continue to give. It was an, it's an encouragement to other people. But what is that? That's that steadfastness, that faithfulness that's being an encouragement. But here's what we want to look at real quick with Paul is that he wasn't even around these people, and yet he still encouraged them. You say, well, all right, pastor, connect that with us. Every year, we come to the month of October, our missions month, and we emphasize pastors around the world that are teaching and preaching the truth of God. And we'll often FaceTime with them. And you've, you've been here for one of the FaceTime services. Maybe we FaceTime with them and hear from them from, from Thailand or Papua New Guinea or Fiji or, or uh, India or the 1040 uh, window, restricted access nations. And we'll, we'll hear from them. And you know what? Often when we hang up, I find myself super encouraged. I'm encouraged, maybe, yeah, I do know that person personally, but I don't know anybody in their church, but I'm encouraged, like Brother J- Jonathan Ballou, Jay Ballou, uh, they're in Thailand, and uh, if you remember, last time we FaceTimed with him, there, his men, who we had never met, his men had helped remodel a brand new church building they got. And they were super excited about coming up to that first Sunday and what God was going to do. You know what? We hung up from that phone call, and I was like, man, that's encouraging. Man, that's encouraging. Their faithfulness and their steadfastness, we rejoice in that. Even though we've never met some of those people. We've really only met a couple of them. One family, everybody else we've never met before. But that steadfastness, it, it can be an encouragement. And the truth is this, that your steadfastness, it is an encouragement to other people. And so when we determine this idea of determining to be steadfast this year, uh, man, the determination to be just steadfast this week, it could be used to be an encouragement to somebody. I think even within your home, did you know that your faithfulness and your steadfastness, mom and dad, it encourages your kids? It encourages your spouse? It encourages your coworkers? Hey, well, they don't even know I read my Bible. Oh, they'll be able to tell. Why? Because usually we, we act a little bit differently, don't we? Yeah. Man, we're letting the Lord work on us. We respond a little bit differently. Man, people can, what's different about you, man? You used to be a jerk. Now you're nice. <laughs> well, you know what? I've just been able to get in the Word of God. God uses His Word to change our lives. And, and that steadfastness can be an encouragement. I see tonight this rejoicing. But secondly, I want you to notice with me what Paul gives them. And it, it's a reminder. It's a reminder. Notice, if you will, verse number four. Verse number four, it says, Paul said this, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Hey, I'm writing this to you so that no one beguiles you with enticing words. The, The word beguile means to con or to trick. Skip down to verse number eight. He said, beware lest any man spoil you. Through vain philosophy and or through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. In these verses, Paul he's he's once again reminding the believers of the fact that the enemy, what we talked about a second ago, the enemy is out to destroy you and your walk with Christ. Again, to be beguiled with enticing words, it means to be conned away from the truth with someone's smooth speech. It means to, uh, um, it means to believe a lie. And then to be spoiled through, through philosophy and vain deceit, it means to be brought to ruin 
through false teaching and, and lies, after the traditions of men, things that just kind of happen in life, traditions and, and, and customs. And then he says, and the, fun, the uh, look at the last part of verse number eight, after the rudiment, the tradition of men, after the rudiments or the fundamentals of the world, the fundamentals of the culture. So Paul, again, like Jude and Peter and James, he's reminding these readers that the enemy, he's real and he's on attack. And we've got to know this, that the attack is going to come sometimes through, if I can say it this way, quote unquote, religious things. Now, to help us really understand that, we've got to put it a little bit in context. There was a few different uh, false religious philosophies and thinking that was attacking the church at Colossae. One of them, it was the belief called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Um, Gnosticism said that you had to have Jesus plus other things that help you. So yeah, you can have Jesus, but it's Jesus and this that help you get to heaven. It's Jesus plus this that, that help you be right with God and have a relationship with God. That was Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Another one you had was, uh, the phrase was asceticism. All right, asceticism uh, was one that kind of believed that God was kind of in everything. And, and you know what? You can, you, can, uh, you can meet with God and stuff like that, but you have to have the higher knowledge to meet with God. You have to have better knowledge. You have to be more wise like me. And they, they would kind of move that up to say that God was in things and you could be around them. But unless you were, you know, super duper, a super duper Christian, then you couldn't really get to know God. And then they also had the false teaching of the Judaizers. Well, the Judaizers, you know what they did? They were the Pharisees in a religious coat. Well, what's that mean? They, they, they said, yeah, you can have Jesus, but... But you also have to fit inside of this mold in order to be right with God. And so you can't be right with God if you do things differently than me. That was the Judaizers. All right, well, let me tell you real quick. Judaizers, Gnosticism, and asceticism, it's all false. It doesn't agree with Scripture at all. None of it agrees with Scripture one bit. And so when Paul writes to them, he's saying, hey, listen, you need to understand that there are religious things and there are uh, things, quote unquote, that are seen as right, but they're not. The devil tries to use that to draw you away from God. And the devil still does the same thing today, uses religion to pull people away from God. I know a lot of people that they point to their religiosity or their religion or their righteousness to say how great of a Christian or how great of a follower of God they are. And they don't point to the fact of who God is. They point to who they are, what they've done. And can I just tell you that we need to be reminded, like Paul was reminding them, he's saying, hey, listen, you need to be aware. You need to be on guard. You need to not go to sleep because the devil's going to attack you. He's going to try to get you uh, maybe through pride or through, or through this area of religion. Or we could even take it a step further and understand that the devil really wants to use any tactic to get us away from God. We're talking in our couples class. We just finished our series this morning, Firm Foundations. And we were talking how the devil likes to use even small things like an unresolved conflict from two years ago. The devil likes to use that to draw people away from God. The devil likes to use little things. We said the phrase, he likes to get a burr under your saddle. 
Let me know what that statement means. You know, he just tries to get just something little in your life that causes you to go, I'm, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of it. Man, I can't believe God. If, if that's the kind of God that, that he is, then I, and, and you still know you belong to him and everything, but the devil does a lot just to get us to turn and to drift away from the Lord. And I just want you to know that these attacks are still happening. And Satan, he's caused many to fall away from being steadfast, and he desires to do it in your life as well. We're not going to talk long about it because we've been covering it on Thursdays, but the devil still attacks through false religion. He still attacks through people having a bit and a piece of truth, but getting proud and thinking and, and uh, de- depending upon their own, their own religion, their own righteousness. The devil likes to use that to turn us and draw us away from God. And so the devil, he's on the offensive, and what Paul is writing to these believers is, hey, you need to know that. You need to be on the defensive. You need to understand that he is trying to get you away from God. And so there's this rejoicing. Man, I see what you're doing. It's an encouragement to me, but I want to give you a reminder. Remember, the devil is after you. And so then, kind of peppered throughout this passage, we find him giving what I call a responsibility. He gives these believers a responsibility. And Through these eight verses, Paul gives these believers their responsibility as a follower of Jesus, and he gives them the keys of unlocking steadfastness. And I want you to notice verses one through three. Here's what Paul writes. He says, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Hey, I've never met you, but I want to tell you my burden for you and for all the believers. Here's my burden. My burden is that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, that's really clear, isn't it? No. (laughs) And it's like, all right, what is he saying? What's his prayer right here? In these verses, Paul shows the responsibility of the believer, the responsibility of living in the presence of Christ. That's what verses one through three are about. Living with Christ each and every day. Here's in these verses, he says, I'm burdened for the believers. Even though I've never met you, here's what I'm burdened for. And we'll just kind of go through these quickly. He says, I'm burdened that your hearts might be comforted. And I'm burdened for you to be comforted. The word comforted there, it has to do with being strengthened. Paul says, I'm burdened for you to have a strengthened heart. And isn't it true? It's easy to let things in life weigh us down. Man, isn't it? It's easy to let a job weigh us down or a, a marriage situation or, or a, a, a friendship or a, a church relationship or something like that. We can let those things kind of weigh us down. And, and Paul, knowing that, he says to them, listen, I'm burdened that, that you would be strengthened. All right, I'm burdened that you'd be strengthened. Also, he says, I'm burdened that you would, have, you would be knit together, knit together in love. 
I'm burdened that you'd be knit together, united in love, love for God and love for each other. So I want you to be strengthened. I want you to love God and love each other. And, and then he says, I'm, I'm burdened that you'd be knit unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Knit to, the full, to the, all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. This is him saying, I, I'm burdened that you would be settled in understanding, that you would be convinced and living with conviction. Paul says, I'm burdened that you would be joined together with others in their convictions, but that you'd be convinced in it, that it wouldn't be, well, I guess we'll believe that because he said so, but that you would be able to say, well, no, this is my belief. And I want you to notice the next thing Paul says. The last part of verse number two, he says this, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, what Paul was getting at with all of this, he was burdened for these believers to understand the fullness of Christ in them. When he uses the phrase, the mystery, the mystery he's speaking about is that is the same mystery you would go and you could read about in, in uh, Colossians chapter number one. And it's this, that you have in Christ, you have everything you need. That's, that's the mystery he's talking about. You can go, we don't have time to do it. But you go back to chapter one and research it out. He's saying you can have your heart strengthened. You can walk in love. You can be settled in understanding. But this only happens in the presence of Christ. Because in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I find it that Paul is saying to them, hey, listen, you don't have to be influenced away from truth. You don't have to waver in your steadfastness and your unfaithfulness. You don't have to go away from God because if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he provides every single thing that you need in life. And aren't we thankful that all of those great things that we need in life, they're found in Christ. Man, he said, turn unto me. Man, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. At the end of that passage, he says, I'll provide you rest unto your souls. Man, that rest unto your souls is that peace that passes all understanding. And, and uh, I'm so thankful to know that all of the uh, uh, wisdom that we need, it's found in Jesus Christ. And in Colossae, there were groups that were coming along and lying about Jesus. And Paul is writing to them saying, hey, listen, they can come and lie all they want, but you just need to learn about living in the presence of Christ. You need to remember that the victory that you need for today, you already have it. It's Christ in you. But here's the problem. Too many of us, we go through our days and through our week, and we ignore him. He has wisdom for us. He has help for us. But we neglect his word, and we neglect our prayer. We neglect time with him, and we neglect his word being an influence in our life. We neglect godly music in the week. We neglect those things that would put God in. We neglect that, and then we come to a trial, and we say, God, where are you? Man, that's like walking away from somebody and asking them where, where they went. If Leo and I are friends, and Leo stayed right there, and then I come way over here, and I'm like, Leo, what happened, man? Where did you go? He's not the one that moved. I am. 
And there's a lot of believers that, fa- that uh, falter in their steadfastness because God is saying, hey, in me is everything you need. And they're going, yeah, but, but I've got this. I, I've got this uh, responsibility. And I've got, well, what about this talk show person? What about this book? Well, what about this? Argues. Well, what about this person? And we begin to turn away. And pretty soon we're way over here going, God, where are you? And, and God's like, hey, I never moved. Because in him are all the riches, all the treasures. And when we embrace Christ's presence in our life, we're able to really have that solid and settled conviction about who he is and about our sufficiency in him. And that gives us the ability, that gives us then the ability to withstand when the devil comes and tries to fight in our life. And in Christ is hidden everything that you and I need. Someone would say, well... Pastor, right there, it says that, we, that it's hidden. So what does it mean that they're hidden? I mean, do I have to get in and poke around and find it? No. When it says they're hidden, it's talking about this, that it's hidden from everybody except for those who know Christ. The mystery, the, the wonder of the presence of Jesus, it's hidden from people who don't know Jesus. Maybe you know somebody who doesn't know Christ, and maybe you've been around them. I know I have been around somebody, and, and they'll say, you know, what do you see? I mean, what's the point of that whole church thing that you do? What's the point of that whole, that whole Bible? I mean, reading your Bible and stuff like that, I have people even here in our community and that, that I know, and I can think of one uh, friend in particular that I'm still trying to reach with Christ, and, and he'll tell me, man, Dennis, you know what, man, I just don't even see the purpose with everything you do and, and church and, and all that stuff. Like, what do you see in that? I, you know what I want to say? That Psalm 34, taste and see. Man, you've got to understand that until you experience God, you're going to think that everybody else is crazy. Isn't that the truth? Man, those of you that maybe came to Christ later, isn't that true, Veronica? just thought Isaac was nuts, didn't you? I mean, he is, but... Man, you know, I remember when Isaac trusted Christ and got on fire and excited about the Lord and said, man, pray for my family. Pastor, pray for my family. And then Veronica came. She thought we were all a bunch of kooks, man. She did. She was walking out, and I was like, well, it's good to meet you. And she's like, you too. <laughs> Little loopy, you know. I don't know. Did I, did, I, did I stand on a chair that day? I don't know. Man, you know, we, we get excited about the things of God. We'll be singing in here, and maybe someone raised their hand. Someone says, man, praise the Lord. Someone says, amen, that's good. Man, somebody who doesn't know, they go, what in the world? Man, these people are crazy. And go to the charismatic church. They're a little bit more crazy. Uh, Let me just tell you that all of that, people who don't know Christ, they look and they say, well, what is it? You know what Paul is saying? He's saying, hey, you have the presence of Christ with you, so you can be be steadfast. Why? Because he's with you. You can fight temptation. Why? He's with you. We have some teenagers and kids in here uh, tonight, of course, for our Sunday nights. Teens and kids, man, you don't have to cave into our culture. Man, you don't have to be what the culture says you should be, and, and you don't have to turn to everything that they turn to and the devices that, that our culture wants to give into. You don't have to do that. You can stand strong. Well, why? Because of Christ in you. Man, you have Jesus. You can stand. You don't have to be. It doesn't mean you have to be the, the weirdo. 
Man, you can still be a normal teenager, have a normal, good, godly Christian life, standing firm. Man, not allowing the world to tell you that you have to have a bad attitude towards everybody. I remember one time, a number of years ago, I was a youth pastor over there in Lakewood, and I was just curious one day. And when I get curious, I become annoying. And so I walked up at the mall, and there's there's these teenagers. Now, this is... Yeah, it was probably 12 years ago, maybe 13. And I walk up, this group of teenagers, and the Tom, they all, were, they all were dressed in goth. Everybody know what that is? Goth is just, you know, you just wear all, I mean, just complete black. They're all around each other. And I got, I got nothing wrong with it. I mean, that's, if you want to do that, great. I'm not going to. But I remember walking up, and I walked up, and I said, excuse me. There's a group about four of them. I said, can I ask you a question? See, I said, why, uh, why are you all dressed like that? I mean, all of you, right here. And I, one of them was like, it's our individuality, man. <laughs> I wanted to pull the old princess bride line. I do not think of that means what you think of that means. <laughs> you know, it's our individuality. I was like, okay, but you all look the same. Well, right. It's our individuality, man. <laughs> and they all like had this little attitude. And I'm not saying that that, that it's just kind of generational, right? Whenever you were, a te- some of you were teenagers once, right? When you hit like seven, 16, 17, it's like, I have to hate the world. Why? Because everybody else does. But here's the thought I'm getting at. Teenage young person or young, young adult, you don't have to do that. Man, you can be a godly young person that's kind to people. And make people go, well, that's different. Well, they're, they're different. Why are you like that? It's my individuality. <laughs> no, it's Christ in me, man. I have the resource of Jesus in me. And aren't you thankful that Jesus said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Man, God said, if you want wisdom, if you want knowledge, if you want to move forward, if you want to know how to resist the devil, if you want to stand firm and stand fast and be steadfast, man, tap into living in the presence of Jesus Christ. Understand that he is with you. Notice also, Paul gives him that responsibility of living in the presence of Christ, but he also talks to them about the responsibility to grow in their walk with Christ. Man, we have a responsibility to grow in our walk with Christ. Notice what he says in verse number six. He says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. As ye have therefore received Jesus, so walk ye in him. As you have received the Lord. Well, how did you receive the Lord? Well, if you trusted Christ as Savior, it was through a little word called faith. You've received Jesus by faith, and so you live by faith. Paul wrote, or the author of Hebrews, which I believe might be Paul, wrote, listen, we are not of them that fall back, but of them that continue forward, and we do it because we live by faith. Man, we just keep, like we looked at this morning, we just keep believing God, believing in his word. We just keep trusting his word, understanding that God has promises for every area of our life. And Paul said, listen, you started with Christ, faith in him, and you continue with faith in him. We walk or we live by faith. Well, what else do we do? He says this. We'll go through it quickly. He says, you, you need to be rooted. Man, your faith needs to be rooted. That's living with stability. That's a tree, a tree having deep roots. It's stable. He says, you need to be built up. 
built up, that phrase, it's a, a building term. It means to be built upon the right foundation. He says you need to be established in the faith. Hey, as you grow in him, you're going to become firm in him. And then he says the phrase abounding therein. That phrase, that, those words abounding therein with thanksgiving, it simply means to repeat the process. So here's what Paul is saying. I mean, why would he write about this? Why would he encourage these people with this? He's saying, hey, listen. You live in such a time when you have a target on your life. And if you're going to do anything for God, there is a target against you. If you're going to stand in the workplace, the devil hates that. If you're going to have a godly marriage, the devil's out to get that. If you're going to raise godly young people, the devil hates that. If you're going to be a godly grandparent that, that helps your family and helps your kids invest in Christ, the devil hates that. And Paul is writing to them saying, hey, listen, if you're going to be steadfast, if you're going to continue, you've got to know one truth. It's not going to happen apart from Jesus. You can't have a great marriage and a great work and a great home and a great uh, uh, in life as an individual. You can't have that apart from Jesus Christ. In him are hid all the treasures of the, the knowledge of wisdom. In him, you have to be rooted and built up and grounded and settled and established and abounding therein, just repeating that process. Your relationship with God is what keeps you from those attacks from the devil. It's like what we read written in Acts 17 about the church at Berea. It says this, that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica, that they received the word with all readiness of mine and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. He's saying, Paul, or Luke wrote this about those believers there. He said, hey, listen, the believers at Thessalonica, they were great, but the believers at Berea, they had a strong walk with God. They were, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they continued in the word of God. They continued in their personal growth. So Paul's saying, hey, you've received truth, you've received Christ, so you can have a settled, confident assurance. You don't need to waver. You can keep living in faith. You can be stable. You can grow and become firm. And the truth is this, that when a believer does these things, when a believer taps into living in the presence of Christ, realizing victory is already with me, I already have Jesus with me. When a believer says, I'm going to keep growing in the Lord, when a believer does that, they're understanding the key to steadfast Christianity. Because the truth is this, that the key to steadfast Christianity is a steadfastness in your personal life. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.